0: lesson 185 part b the resurrection announced second half if you'll open up your bibles please to matthew 28 matthew 28 and we'll be also in mark 16 and luke 24 the three synoptic gospels this morning and as you're finding your way there let's ask the lord's blessing on our time together father we do thank you for this beautiful spring day that you have given to us to remind us of your creative genius. We thank you, Lord, that you are a stronghold in time of trouble. We do pray for our nation, for a wake-up call. I don't see it, but I just pray that Christians, your people, would humble themselves and pray and seek your face and you would heal this land and forgive us our sins and that we would have an influence. That We know there are Christians all over this land, and we just pray that we would be able to multiply and spread the truth of your word that people can rely on your word and they can trust in you and they can believe in your son as the savior of of the world because he is pray that we would get back to the truth of the Bible and stop stop watering it down and and turning from um, from the truth of the gospel we thank you that all scripture is indeed inspired by you and that it is um profitable for not only doctrine but for reproof and for correction and we need reproof and correction in this land and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God the woman of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works Lord we thank you for that truth that we can trust your word and um, even though this present heaven and and this present earth one day will be dissolved yet your word will not It will endure forever. And so how better can we redeem our time by spending it in the eternal Word of God and getting to know you through your Son better each time. Now I ask that you would help us to focus on what you have to say to us in your Word, through your Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week in the first part of this lesson, the resurrection announced, we looked at the angelic announcement made to two groups of women. There were two groups of women who went to the tomb. First, there was the announcement made by the tombstone angel, the one who rolled away the stone and then sat upon it. And that announcement was made outside outside the tomb, and it was given to two or three women who remained at the empty tomb site after who had run away. Mary Magdalene had run off she got there looked saw the stone rolled away and jumped to conclusions and thought that somebody had stolen the Lord's body so she ran off as fast as she could to report the supposed theft of the Lord's body to Peter and John and but the other two or three women stayed behind and they saw the angel in all of his shining splendor, and they were afraid, naturally. They were afraid, but immediately he set about to calm them by saying to them, and this is in Matthew 28. Let's see, I've got to get to the right chapter here. Matthew 28, 5. He said to them, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. And then he gave the greatest pronouncement ever to be heard by mortals. He said, He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. And he followed that fantastic statement upon which all Christianity is based. That is our foundation. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of Christianity. There wouldn't be no Christianity without it. He followed that statement with the invitation, extended to all mankind, really, Come, see but to them specifically, come see the place where the Lord lay. Well, we discussed that first, and then we discussed the tomb shelf angel's announcement to these same women when they accepted the first angel's invitation and entered into the empty tomb. They go into the dark tomb, not expecting to see another angel, and he is in there. And again, they are affrighted. You can't forget that word, can you? They're affrighted when they see the tomb shelf angel sitting on the shelf where the Lord's body had laid, and he's on the right side, and he instantly also calms their fear by saying, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. And this is over in Mark, by the way, Mark 16, verse 6. And then he likely pointed to the shelf right next to him where the Lord's body had laid, and what is there? Not the Lord, but the grave clothes are there. And, of course, the head napkin folded. And he said, behold, look carefully, behold the place where they laid him. Both angels gave the women instructions, which they were to obey as commandment from the Lord. After they invited them, you know, to go into the tomb, investigate what was in there. Then they were given commandments. Now, what are angels? They are messengers. Of the Lord, right? So when they gave these women commandments, um, this group of women and then the second group of women, those commandments were from the Lord Himself. They were to go quickly to the Lord's disciples and to who was named specifically among those disciples, Peter. To Peter, that was in Mark 16:7, and you know Peter needed to hear that that he was still included after denying the Lord three times. But they were to go quickly to the Lord's disciples and tell them the good news that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead and he would go before them into Galilee where he would see them. Matthew 28, 7. It says, and go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. So what we want to do today is to first of all look at the response of these women to the divine commandment, both groups of women. We're going to look first at the first group and then at the second group. We're going to look at their response to the divine commandment to be the first human proclaimers of the completed gospel message. That's exactly what they were. They were the first ones to ever give the completed gospel message. You see, the gospel wasn't complete until the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, was it? It would not be it would not mean anything to us. The gospel message wouldn't be the gospel message without the resurrection. If it was just about his death and burial and no resurrection, would that be good news? If it was just about his death and burial and he is not here, would that be good news? No. You need the whole truth that he is risen. Where is he? Bodily in a glorified body he is in heaven sitting at the right hand of god the father that's the completed gospel the resurrection you see was god's seal of approval that his son's completed atonement work for the sins of mankind on the cross had been accepted when when the when the lord rose from the dead that was god saying i approve your work was successful and and complete, and that's his seal of approval. Who rose the Lord Jesus from the dead? Wasn't this one of your questions? It's just like creation. Who who was involved in creative work? All three members of the Trinity. Who was involved in the resurrection? All three members of the Trinity. The Lord himself, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. So we're going to begin with a look at the response of the first group of women, which consisted... Of Mary, the other Mary we call her, Mary the mother of James who was an apostle, James the Less, and Joseph, we don't know who he was, but he was probably a follower of the Lord Jesus, and Salome, and perhaps also Joanna. And so this first group consists of those three women, it would have consisted of four, but Mary Magdalene had run off, okay? And their response is found in Matthew 28, 8 and also Mark 16:8. So i want to read both of those passages together, all right? Or not together, <laughs> one after the other. But let's first of all look at Matthew 28, 8. It says, <clears throat> this is after they got the commandment to go quickly, tell the disciples Jesus is resurrected and that he will meet them in Galilee. It says, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. That's putting it rather mildly, isn't it? And great joy. Of course, they were overspilling with joy. And did run to bring his disciples' word. So did the women obey the commandment? Yes, they did. All right, now look at Mark 16, 8. And let's see how he, what he tells us about their obedience. All right, Mark 16, 8. It says, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. All right, now, as with much of the gospel record concerning the Sunday morning activities, there are Bible critics. I mean, they're just everywhere, aren't they? But they're especially present when it comes to the activities of resurrection Sunday morning. There are Bible critics who like to point out the seeming contradiction between these two, these two verses we just read. One from Matthew and one from Mark. With what they just read, we just read, they will say, Matthew tells us that the women did run quickly to the Lord's disciples to give their report, that they did do it. Whereas Mark says that they said nothing to any man because they were afraid. So the critics say, don't you see this is a contradiction? Aha, therefore you cannot trust the Bible. Well, that's pretty superficial to me, but that's what they say. So let's look more closely at what's going on here. First of all, these women had been instructed to get word to who? To the disciples, and how fast? As fast as their little feet could carry them, right? Quickly. And that is exactly what they did. They went straight to the disciples, wherever they were, scattered, smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. They went to the disciples, quickly. I can imagine, can't you, the difference between the time that it had taken them to get to the tomb, carrying their spice jars and everything, as opposed to the time that it took them to get from the tomb. Have you ever seen a fast funeral procession? I know they didn't have the body, but I'm sure these women were kind of trudging along. Mary Magdalene obviously got there first. She was a little faster. But don't you picture them dressed in black, carrying their jars, and they're kind of slow going to the tomb. But once they see the angel and they hear the good news, uh, all of a sudden, I believe they had on their running shoes. uh, now, they they forgot their age. Now, these were a little bit older women. We talked about that. They had to be a little bit older because they had sons old enough to be apostles. But they forget their age now. They're young again. Uh, the great joy and the trembling amazement of what they had seen with their own eyes. Not only the angels, but the grave clothes. We'll talk about them eventually. Um, and what they had heard with their own ears had put renewed vigor and vim Into their spirits. Don't you know? I mean, they went off quickly. They ran. There was a lot of running. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen the whole scene? Seen the scene (laughs) from above or something? I mean, first of all, the angel appears quickly, suddenly. There he is in all his glory, rolls away the stone. And then the, the soldiers fall over. And then when they get up from their stupor, what do they do? Can't you picture them running off in a hurry? And then you got Mary Magdalene running in and seeing what she sees. And then she runs off. And then these women, you know, they come, but when they see the angels, they run off. And then who's the next ones to come? Peter and John, and what are they doing? They're running, and then right behind them, Mary Magdalene comes back again. I mean, there's a lot, and then that second group of women come, and when they hear the angels, they run off. Can't you imagine all the activity going on? No wonder we get confused about, you know, putting the four gospel accounts together. There's just a lot of activity going on at that tomb. Back and forth, excitement, you know, dread, sadness, and then excitement. It's just, wow, really the place to be. Anyhow, um, a joyful heart is great medicine to the to the body, isn't it? How do you feel when you're depressed? You know, you're lethargic, you have no energy, and you, just, you know, it's just a dread to get up in the morning. But when you get a phone call or something happy happens, all of a sudden you're re-energized, aren't you? It does, I mean, really, it happiness is good medicine. Joy... Joy is good medicine. And this Bible is full of joy, isn't it? That's why Christians shouldn't be be sourpusses. We should be the happiest people on planet Earth. So smile. (laughs) Their new emotions brought them great energy. And on their way to give their happy report to the scattered disciples, they were not about to waste any time by speaking of what they had just experienced with other people. They had been given a task, go quickly, tell the disciples. So on their way, they weren't going to stop and talk to everybody that they met and tell them what they had seen. And that was not only obedience to the command that was given to them, but that's understandable and wise on their part. Because if these women had given the report to everyone they passed, they would put in danger the disciples, wouldn't they? Because there'd be a lot of people running to the tomb. How do we know that some of the people they would have told who wouldn't have run to the tomb and stolen the grave clothes? And the grave clothes were going to be a big part of the evidence that he had risen right out of them. Okay, so it was wise on their part. And who are they protecting? I think it says when they were afraid, they said nothing to any man because they were afraid. I think they were afraid not for themselves, but for the disciples, some of whom were their own sons. Remember that. Three of them were their own sons. So, they didn't say anything to any man. Is that a problem? I mean, one just tells us they went quickly to the disciples. The other one says, basically, on the way, they didn't speak to anyone else. I mean, they they probably figured that, uh, well, they would have seen evidence, I'm sure. They saw evidence that there had been a Roman guard there. They would have seen the broken seal and the broken cords and probably the remains of a fire. Because it would get cold at that time. We know because, remember, Peter was standing in front of a fire warming himself. It would get cold at night, so I'm sure the Romans had a fire there. And uh, they would have seen all that. And they would know that as soon as they told people that Jesus was, you know, what they had seen, people would start saying, well, the disciples must have stolen his body. And that would get them in trouble with not only the Jews, but it would also get them in trouble with the, uh, the Roman the Roman authority. So they were wise not to say anything. They went quickly and they fled from the sepulcher for they trembled and were amazed. Let's see, that's in Mark, what we just read. You see that little word amazed? It's not as exciting as in the Greek because that is the word in Greek from which we get our English word ecstasy. They were full of ecstasy type joy. Of course they were. There's no better news to hear than that the one they put their trust in as Lord had risen from the dead, as he said. So they were full of ecstatic joy, and they said nothing to any man on their way. Um, So Mark and Matthew fit together perfectly. Now that the women knew the truth, and they did know the truth of the full gospel, guess what? Now that they knew the truth, they were responsible to share it. That's a basic principle of Christianity, isn't it? Revelation begets responsibility. The women were given a moment to overflow with the ecstatic joy of realizing the truth of the gospel message, which, of course, has its culmination in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then, after they had that moment to compute that joy and overspill, they were to obey the commission to share that wonderful news with those who were still in sorrow and in darkness they were to share the joy of the message that he is not here he is risen as he said that's the law of the christian life when you when you know the truth are you to just keep it to yourself and hide your light under a bushel no and it's you know it's it's given as a not as an option It's given as a command. The angels say, go quickly. That's command, right? Go quickly and tell. Our service and our sharing, the good news of the gospel, is not optional. It's obligational. And to not serve the Lord and to not share the gospel is nothing but, what's the word? Disobedience. Yes, sin. Well, besides sharing with the disciples the news of Christ's resurrection, the women were also, do you notice, instructed to give the disciples a message about a later point of rendezvous. Not only were they to go tell the disciples that Christ is risen from the dead, as he said, but they were to tell them that he would go before them to where? Galilee. Where are they right now? Southern province of Judea in Jerusalem for the Passover. But he says, I'm going to go you before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said unto you. That's in Mark 16, 7. Now, there are a, surprisingly num- a surprising number of commentators who see difficulty with the instructions for the disciples to go to Galilee. Had you ever thought about this before? I couldn't believe it. I mean, you just get into all kinds of... Um, suggestions about this, but I had never really thought about it, but they see a problem with the instructions that the disciples were to go to Galilee and meet Jesus there. Some think that the disciples were disobedient to this command in that they did not set out that very day to go up to Galilee. And that group of, of people who think the disciples were disobedient includes John Calvin. Okay, way back. I mean, so this this discussion goes way back in time. Um, So they thought, including John Calvin, thought they were disobedient. If they were to go to Galilee, why were they still in Jerusalem even the next Sunday? This is Resurrection Sunday we're talking about. They're still in Jerusalem the following Sunday. How do I know? Because that's when Jesus met again with the disciples, this time including Thomas right because Thomas hadn't been there on resurrection sunday evening when the lord appeared to his men so we know that the disciples are still in jerusalem a week later so they say well the disciples were disobedient others have said that the women you know these are the guys that like to blame women okay you know about them started with adam <laughs> it's that woman you gave me lord <laughs> So some commentators like to say that it was the women's fault and that the women forgot to tell the disciples this part of the message. And that is why the men did not set out for Galilee immediately. Well, that is not likely at all, seeing as these women had the fear of God in them and they would not forget a message given by the Lord through two holy angels. Okay? Okay. Oh, and yes, there is also this. Let me throw this in, okay? Do you know that before these women actually get to the disciples with their message, they encounter the resurrected Lord Jesus himself? Look at Matthew 28. Where are you, Mark? Go back to Matthew 28 and look with me at verses 9 and 10. These women... (coughs) They departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word, but before they get to the disciples, they meet the Lord. Look at verse 9, Matthew 28, 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hail. That's kind of a strange thing to say. <laughs> We'll talk about that when we get there. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Now look at this, verse 10. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Okay, question. Do you think the women forgot to tell the disciples that they were supposed to go to Galilee to meet Jesus? After two angels told them, and after the resurrected Lord Jesus himself told them, no, no, no. The women aren't that forgetful. I remember, remember, they're the first ones who remember the Lord's words you know, before the disciples because they're reminded. But the men are reminded and they still don't remember. We'll get to that later on. <laughs> that is really confusing when they're reminded and they don't remember. Oh, anyhow. So there's no, anyway, no way that these women forgot to give this information about Galilee to the disciples. So let's get rid of that little excuse. Well, others wonder why Jesus would tell his men that he would see them in Galilee when, in fact, he met with them later on that very day in Jerusalem. Why didn't he just tell them later that day that he would also meet them in Galilee? Why was it important? And apparently it was. Why was it important for the women to give the disciples the message regarding Galilee at the very same time that they were to report his resurrection? Are you still with me? You following me? All right. Well, here are some of the solutions that have been given to this apparent difficulty. One is that Jesus knew. That his men would not return to Galilee until after the completion of the week-long celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All right, the 14th of Nisan is the Passover. That's when the Lord was crucified. What is the next day the beginning of? The 15th of Nisan, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it continues how long? Seven days. It's a week-long celebration. So some have suggested that he was telling his men, I know you'll be around here for a week, and uh, so when you finally leave Jerusalem, I will meet you up in Galilee. Oh, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Um, I don't know, however, if the men were planning to stay for the week-long celebration of the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread. I think maybe they were anxious and eager to get out of Jerusalem just as fast as possible because it was a very dangerous place for them to be. So, you know, I don't know. You can just take that and do with it what you want to, but that's one suggestion. Another suggestion is that the message about meeting in Galilee was not intended just for the 11 disciples, that it was for a group of um, all of the Lord's Galilean disciples. So it included a much broader spectrum. Um, In verse 10, he says, Tell my brethren... So they say that, um, that Jesus was telling the women to tell all the other disciples, not, the, not just the eleven, but the others to go ahead and go up to Galilee where he will meet with them. And of course we do know that he meets with a bunch of Galilean followers up in Galilee. Um, but this is kind of a weak suggestion because in Mac, Mark's account it says, go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. And that definitely tells us that he's talking about going to tell the apostles, not just the other Galilean disciples. So, yet another idea is that Jesus gave the message, and this one's really kind of weird, but that Jesus gave the message about going to Galilee in order to direct his men's attention to their future commission, the great commission, which was, to evangelize and make disciples of all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, but expanding out to all the Gentile nations. And they say that he was, he was t- rem- telling his disciples about this future great commission in that he told them to go to Galilee because Galilee is often known as Galilee of the Gentiles because a lot of Gentiles live there. I don't know if you're following me, but I think this is really a poor suggestion. Do you think that's what popped into the disciples' minds when they were told that Jesus would meet them up in Galilee? Oh, yeah, the Great Commission were to go into all the world. I strongly doubt it because they hadn't even heard the Great Commission yet. (laughs) So I kind of get rid of that one. Of all the suggestions I read, I think the best one is this last one. If you remember, go back in your minds and, and also go back a couple pages to Matthew 26, would you? On Thursday evening, when the Lord Jesus had celebrated the Passover supper with his men in the upper room, okay, remember he celebrated the Passover supper and then before he instituted the Lord's supper, he dismissed Judas and he was speaking just to the eleven, all right? And he said to them, look at the words of verse 31, Matthew 26:31." All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd. And what's that speaking of? Himself and his death, right? The the shepherd will be smitten. He's speaking of his death. I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. You see right there he's predicting that when they arrest me and go to crucify me, you're all going to scatter. The sheep are going to scatter. That was the prediction. Did that come to pass? Exactly as he said, yes, it did. And then after saying that, he said, But after I am risen again, I will go before you where? Unto Galilee. Now, this is just three days earlier. He had made a prediction when he was smitten, um, they would scatter, he would rise again, and he would go before them into Galilee. So here's a question for you Who were the only people who heard these words that night? The eleven. Only the eleven. Ah, then, so do you see what the Lord was doing when he gave this very same message? Go tell my men that I will go before them into Galilee. When he gave that same message, first through the angels to the women and then directly himself to the women to be delivered to the eleven. What was he doing? He was confirming through the women to his men that he truly was alive. How else would they know that? That he had said, I'll, I'll meet you guys up in Galilee. It was confirming. It was actually a confirmation that the first part of their message was true. He is not in the tomb. He is risen. How do you know? Well, here, he's got a message for you. I'm gonna, that nobody else would know. I'm gonna go before you into Galilee. So, that's pretty cool, and I think that's probably the best answer. Okay, so we've looked at the response now of that first small group of women who were at the tomb so i want to turn now to luke's account for the response of um the other group of women the larger group of many galilean women to the message of the angels and remember this group of women obviously arrived at the tomb after the first group had gone off quickly to tell the disciples All right, so again, we've got all this coming and going. Mary Magdalene is there. She runs off that second group of probably two or three women. They're there. They've run off. And now this larger group of Galilean women arrive at the tomb. And let's review all the way back to verse 1 of Luke 24 to get the whole picture. All right, starting Luke 24, 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher. Who does the they refer back to? Up in verse 55 of chapter 23, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, a group of many, Matthew said, who had been ministering to him for years. All right, they come early in the morning to the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout... I imagine they were perplexed as they're looking at the empty grave clothes, okay? They're looking at the grave clothes, and suddenly what happens? Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, two angels, probably the tomb shelf and the tombstone angel all of a sudden standing there. And as they were afraid, the women, and bowed down their faces to the earth, they, the angels, said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? And that's literally why seek ye the living one among the dead. He is not here, but is risen. And now here's a gentle reminder. (laughs) Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And we all highlighted the next verse, didn't we? Because the first ones to ever remember the words of the Lord about his resurrection were women. Can't give them too much credit, however, because they were reminded. (laughs) But finally it says, and they remembered his words. Okay, now here is where we get their response to um, the news and the the commandment of the uh, angels. And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Who would all the rest be? Other followers of the Lord. All right, let me go ahead and read um, verse 23, uh, uh, verse 10, excuse me. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. Now that's out of sequence, and I'll tell you about it in a little bit. And then, well, no, I'm not going to read verse 11, but I did want to read verse 10 at this point, and I'll talk about why that's there. I know that confuses you because that's women from the first group. But it's out of sequence chronologically. You know, as I was looking at this this week, I thought, wouldn't it be a great epitaph for your tombstone to put on it, Why Seek Ye the Living Among the Dead? She is not here. She is risen. I was thinking about telling my children about that one. I like that one. Why Seek Ye the Living? You know, don't bother to come to my tombstone, I'm not there. So what is the response of this group of Galilean women to the message of the two standing angels inside the tomb? Well, when they are reminded of the Lord's own prediction, not only about his suffering and that he would be crucified, and he did predict his death would be by way of crucifixion, but also they're reminded of his third day promise of his resurrection. At long last, they remembered. And we discussed all of this last week, and it was exciting to finally find somebody recalling the word of the Lord, even if they had to be reminded about it. Well, one thing I want to mention about the response of this second group of women to the angelic message is that they were faithful. Do you notice this? They were faithful to proclaim all the message that they were to give. Luke 24, 9, we specifically read that they told all these things to the eleven. What's that include? Everything. Everything they saw—the empty grave clothes, the folded napkin from his head—all about the two angels. Everything they saw, everything they experienced, um, they told to the to the men. And also, they too they too encounter the Lord on the way to the men. Well, verse ten jumps in chronology. Okay, um, what we have going on in the meantime is. Um, Mary getting to Peter and John and telling them about the Lord's body being stolen and Peter and John running to the tomb and going inside and seeing what they saw and then going back and, and then Mary Magdalene coming back to the tomb and she actually meets the Lord himself, resurrected. She's actually the first one. She sees him before the women see him. I mean, it's all, you know, you gotta, you probably should make a list of this. I think that's one of your homework questions this week. Number three. <laughs> it's really difficult to do. But she actually is the first one to see the resurrected Lord before the other women. They're on their way, and she's faster, and I don't know how all that works. But anyhow, a lot of things go on before we get to verse 10 here. It skips. Luke skips. So when you read it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, that's saying that eventually all the women involved get to the disciples, and they all give their various reports to the disciples, okay? Okay. Eventually, not just the many Galilean women, but also all those that were involved in the first group, including Mary Magdalene, after her second trip to the tomb. Um, So we learn that all these women, all these women reported all that they saw, which again refutes the notion that somehow all of them collectively forgot to tell the men about the Galilean rendezvous point, right? (laughs) Now, another thing I want to point out, and I don't know where the significance of this is, I just thought it was interesting, an interesting sequence of categories. When we put the three synoptic gospel accounts together, we find that in Mark, the women said nothing to any man on their way to the scattered disciples. So that is what I call the category of the nun. <laughs> they said nothing to any man. Then in Matthew 28, 8, we are told that these same women reported their message to the disciples and Peter. And that's the category of the named. We know all the names of the disciples, don't we? Including Peter. So we go from the category of the nun to the category of the named. And now in Luke 24, 9, we learn that they not only reper- reported these things to the 11, but to all the rest, which would include all the other followers of Christ, like the 120 who are mentioned in Acts 1.15, and that is what I call the category of the numerous. And I thought, well, that's interesting because that's exactly how the gospel has been in the world. First of all, nobody got the gospel because the gospel wasn't completed, right? There was no gospel. There was a future looking forward to it, but none received it. And then the first ones who received it were who? the apostles, the named, they're the foundation of the church, and then the numerous. And we are part of the numerous, all the rest, who have been told the gospel message. Well, it's time now, at long last, to turn to the apostles. Do you know, do you realize that other than John, who was at the cross, the only one who was at the cross, we have not heard or spoken about these guys, really. I mean, we've talked about them, but we haven't heard from them. Since when? Go back in your mind. When's the last time we really were talking about the Gospels? I mean the, the Apostles from the Gospels. <laughs> yes, Thursday night in Gethsemane. That's the last time. So finally we're turning again to the apostles. And yikes, it's not a very pretty picture. <laughs> we're gonna learn what their reaction. Yesterday I had this all on a blackboard, well, a grease board. And I had the reaction of the women, and I put, nice. And then I had the reaction of the men, yikes. (laughs) And that's exactly what it is. We're going to learn their reaction um, to the first time, think of this, the first time the apostles ever heard the completed gospel message. What was their reaction? Mm, Not good. Let's look at verse 11. Matt, uh, Luke, Luke 24:11. Now, this is after the women reported all, everything. And it says in verse 11, and their words, that's the words of the women, seemed to them, who's the them, the men, the apostles, as idle tales. And they believed them not. All right, before we break this down, and look at the two specific, there's two specific reactions of the men to the message of the women. One is their disrespect of the women. Now, I don't know if this was verbalized, but it was definitely their attitude. It was their attitude toward the women. And so one, is their, one reaction is their disrespect, and the other is their disbelief. But before we get to that, I want to address a common argument, again, of critics and skeptics of Christ's resurrection, which is that the disciples... Now, there are many that believe this, and it's so contradictory to truth, but many believe that the disciples, the apostles, believed so strongly in the idea that Jesus would raise from the dead that after his death, they simply deluded themselves into believing that he was alive. And they deluded themselves into actually thinking that they saw him and that they talked with him and they even ate with him. The major flaw, however, in that argument is that it totally contradicts the facts. The disciples did not anticipate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus at all. Period. At all. They did not even remember his predictions regarding his resurrection. Obviously, they had put his predictions of a third-day resurrection into some little category, compartment of their brains that was non-literal. You know, we can't take him literally. He's obviously referring uh, spiritually, allegorically, or speaking about the general resurrection of the dead at the end of history, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Right. That's where they put that little, every time they heard him talk about his third day resurrection, it went into that little compartment, oh yeah, at the end of history, at the time of the general uh, resurrection of, of all. Some to resurrection, you know, life and some to damnation. Finally, you know, they did not even believe in his resurrection when they learned of it from a large and varied group of godly, faithful women. Not only that, but even when the two on the road, to, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, saw and talked and ate with the glorified, resurrected Lord Jesus, and came running back to Jerusalem to tell them about it, guess what? They still did not believe. We are told it says, uh, Mark 16:13, neither believed they them and at least one of those disciples was a man we know that cuz we're given his name so not only did not they not believe the witness of many women godly women but they didn't believe the witness of at least one man one man disciple and in fact this gets really amazing when they see the resurrected lord jesus himself later on on that sunday when he in the evening resurrection sunday evening when he just comes right through the door in his glorified body and appears before them, guess what? They were scared to death and they still did not believe it was him resurrected bodily. They thought that he was a ghost. They thought he was a, his, that was his spirit or a ghost. and that's in Luke 24:37. They still didn't believe even when they saw him. So you see ironically, One of the greatest proofs of the resurrection of Christ is that his very own disciples, his apostles, did not at first believe at all. That's a great proof of his resurrection. J.C. Ryle, in his commentaries on the gospel, says this. He says, quote, Let us admire the wisdom of God, which can bring great good out of something evil. The unbelief of the apostles is one of the strongest indirect evidences that jesus rose from the dead if the disciples were at first so reluctant to believe our lord's resurrection and were at last so thoroughly persuaded of it that they preached it everywhere and i can add to that and they were willing to die for it then christ must have been risen indeed he says if the apostles believed the resurrection must be true, end of quote. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. If the apostles believe, it must be true because it took an awful lot to convince those men, didn't it? It really did. Even Tom, think of Thomas. I mean, he even had the additional witness of the other ten apostles and he still didn't believe. Well, as mentioned, the only one to record, or I don't know if I did mention this, but the only one to record this embarrassing response of the disciples and do you think that if this was just written by men, that they would include this? I, I would. I think I'd leave it out, you know. <laughs> but the only one to record it was Luke. And I got to thinking, well, yeah, Luke, okay, he wasn't there. <laughs> Matthew was included in that group that didn't believe. Now, John Mark uh, might have been there as a young man, but he's writing basically for Peter. Peter was there, and John was there. Now, Don, John did believe when he saw the grave clothes um so but that's another story but anyway luke is the only one who really tells us about this and he tells us that the women's words were to the men as what idle tales don't you love it your husband ever thought you were telling an idle tale (laughs) your son um definitely a difference between men and women we have to do a lot to convince them sometimes don't we (laughs) It says that they thought there was idle tales. And in Greek, the word for idle tales is one word. It's the word liros, L-E-E-R-O-S. And it means nonsense. (laughs) Uh, The word is actually used in medical terminology to refer to the wild talk of those who are delirious. Mm, Isn't that nice? Now, remember something. Some of those guides, guys are thinking this about their own mothers, <laughs> right? <laughs> They're thinking their mothers are speaking deliriously. Uh, it's used in Greek to speak of a sick person's sick person's senseless ramblings, and I looked it up in Vincent's Word Studies, and he translates it as silly talk. Hmm, I'm getting madder and madder, aren't you? <laughs> the disciples thought that the women were emotionally unbalanced <laughs> with ecsta- ecstatic joy and remember they're in ecstasy they've got ecstatic joy that they're displaying you know they went away black it was bl- you know black all black and can't you see little hunched over old ladies they're probably only in their 40s but they aged faster back then and they're on their way to the cemetery and they're carrying their little jars and they come back the you know, new creatures. Ah, they're so excited and they're full of ecstatic joy. And they, the men think they've lost their minds. What in the world has happened to these women? Um, and after all, you know, they are merely women and women can get a little bit carried away with emotions, right? So they've somehow all, they've all deluded themselves into thinking they saw angels and thinking they saw the Lord. and whew. <laughs> Fact is, These women were not the last ones to share the gospel with those who didn't believe them. Right? I remember the first time I went home and shared with my mom and dad. I can still picture them sitting at our dining room table. And I come running in the house and I'm so ecstatically joyful that I have found the Lord. He found me. (laughs) And I'm saved and I'm born again. And I'm just spilling all over the place telling them about Jesus and how they need to be saved so they won't go to hell. And you know what they did? They looked at me like I was nuts absolutely lost I mean totally off my rocker and my dad said she'll get over it well 42 years later I still haven't gotten over it (laughs) I'm crazier now than I was (laughs) but uh, it's interesting to find that these disciples are going to experience some of this themselves aren't they First day when they get the, receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, what are they accused of? Being drunk, being drunk early in the morning, uh, being out of their right minds, uh, propagators of idle tales, uh, delirious, every other disrespectful term imaginable, I'm sure they all heard over the years that followed. And of course, that goes on today as well, doesn't it? With those who believe and share the gospel message, we hear it all, you know, that we're intolerant, we're hateful, we're et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, we got to lean on our, how um, how's it go? Lean on our Bibles and crutches and all that sort of thing. Well, the message of the Word of God is not, as you know, readily acceptable, acceptable in today's society. Things have changed a lot just in the last 50 years. You know, you used to be able to go out, especially in the South, in the Bible Belt, and speak about Jesus and share with people the Scripture, and, and you got all, almost always got a positive reaction. Now you don't. I mean, it's really changed quickly. Um, but tragically, this is why many professing Christians and churches have attempted to alter the message to make it more acceptable to the world, water down the truth, uh, make it more palatable. And supposedly, you know, make it more respectable. And make it mesh more with science, etc., etc., etc. And that's why our land is in the condition that we're in today. Because it, it's, it's the fault of pulpits watering down the truth. A changed message is not the true message. We are to stick to the truth of the death burial, and third day, literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only Savior, the only mediator between God and man, whether the world believes it or not, we're to stick to the truth of the gospel message. We are not asked to be famous or popular. You know, we could get a huge crowd in here if we tickled everybody's ears, right? and told them what they want to hear and, and just preach love all the time love 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 and never the whole gospel of of the scripture the whole council of scripture we're not asked to be popular we are asked to be what truthful and faithful faithful proclaimers the validity of the message is not determined by the favor of the crowds it's determined by the facts concerning christ not the favor of the crowds the facts concerning christ You and I are responsible, just like these Galilean women, to declare the right message. We are not held responsible for the decisions of others to that right message. We are just to sow the seed, to share the truth, and the rest of it is, you know, God will take care of the rest. And man has choice and he's free to choose how he will will respond to the truth. We're responsible to share the truth. The attitude of the disciples um, really gives us, the attitude of them toward women, gives us a lot of insight into their preconceived concepts of women back in that day in that culture. A lot of this still goes on today in the world, sadly. It's, a lot of that is included in this book I've been reading. I'm going to read, the next one I'm going to read is by Erwin Lutzer. It's called The Cross and the Crescent, but it tells you a lot about. Shiite Muslims and the fanatical, um, and their attitude toward women, oh my. You know, it's, it's just really, really scary. No resp- I mean, women are just like possessions. Uh, and the, and remember, these, these women who came and gave this report to the men, some of them are their own mothers. And these are all godly women. They had been traveling with them for years. I mean, some of these men knew these women their whole lives because they're their aunts or they are their mothers. And we're talking about believers here. We're not just talking about someone out there, secular or some Muslim. We're talking about believers in Jesus Christ. And still this is their attitude toward women. As I told you before, I mean, they've been so ingrained in having a lower concept of, of women that, the women's testimony was very, very seldom even accepted in a Jewish court of law. They're just definitely second-class citizens. And I say this to, to tell you that Jesus Christ has elevated us so much. So we're so, I'm so thankful I'm a Christian and not a Muslim. Oh my goodness. Anyway, um... Maybe we could understand a little bit if there was just one woman who had given them the news about the angel's message and the empty grave clothes and the resurrected Christ. You know, if it was one woman, especially if that woman maybe had been Mary Magdalene who had previously been, I'm sure we could say, emotionally unstable when she had been possessed by seven demons. Or even if there were just a few women who came with the report. Because, you know, women can, we can get a little emotional about things, can't we? And there's nothing wrong with that. God made us that way. I'm glad I'm a woman and not a man. I wouldn't want to just be Mr. Practical all the time. I like having my emotions. <laughs> Frank's going to hear it, but it's true, Frank. You are very practical, and I'm not. I go with my feelings too much. <laughs> that's what he always tells me. You go and do with your feelings too much. I say, well, that's why God put us together. <laughs> we got to balance each other out. But, you know, okay, don't you think the disciples should have taken into consideration the fact that these were godly women, and um, and there was not just one of them. There were many of them giving basically the same report over and over again. And these weren't women who had proven themselves to be basket cases. I mean, after all, they had been more tough in many ways than the men themselves. Hadn't they been there at the cross? Hadn't they watched the Lord suffer through six hours of the crucifixion? Hadn't they even followed the Lord's body and watched him be, you know, cleansed and buried and everything? I mean, these weren't mamby-pamby kind of women who just went off into outer space at the least little thing. These were tough women. Nor did the disciples take into uh, into consideration the fact that, you know, it might be possible for one woman to hallucinate and think that she saw angels and had conversations with angels but for many to all give the same report, you know. Also, as we discussed earlier, the men should have realized that the message about meeting with Jesus where? Up in Galilee was identical to what he had told them that night of their last supper. I will go before you into Galilee. That promise had been preceded by two predictions. Number one, that all of them would scatter when he was smitten. And number two, that he would rise again on the third day. The go to Galilee message was then also followed. I didn't read that when we were back in Matthew 26, I should have. But it was followed by another prediction, which was that Peter would, you know, when he heard, when Peter heard that they would all scatter from him, he said, no, everybody else, but not me. And then the Lord went on to give the prediction that Peter, in fact, this very night before the... The cock will crow three times, you'll deny me three times. So you would think that the disciples would realize the women must have known about the promise of meeting them in Galilee that the Lord had given. So they must have gotten it from the Lord himself. So what they're saying about his resurrection and the angels, all of that must be true. Also, wouldn't you think that that would trigger remembrance in their minds about his promise to rise again? You know, when, he, when they said, he's going to meet you in Galilee, oh yeah, he did say that Thursday night. That was right after he said on the third day he would rise again. Um, after all the other predictions had come to pass, the scattering and, and Peter denying the Lord three times, those had come to pass, so why not the third day resurrection? This was part of the women's message. You know, as he said, why wouldn't they all come true precisely as he said? Hadn't that been the emphasis of the angels to the women? Hadn't the angel said, he is risen as he said? He goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him as he said. And then remember how he spake unto you. That's when the angels were reminding the women. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the son of man shall be delivered into the hands.'" So the emphasis of the angels to the women was remember the word of the Lord, remember the word of the Lord, remember what he said. So don't you know when they reported all of these things to the disciples, where was their emphasis? On the same thing, on what the Lord had said to them. Don't you remember, don't you remember? But the disciples only computed, they only computed that the women were all delirious <laughs> in their idle tales, and, and they did not believe. You know, the women remembered when the angel reminded them. But the men did not remember when the m- women reminded them. Again, it's kind of mysterious, isn't it? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you, I guess the women, that, maybe that's why we're told to be like angels in 1 Peter 3, 1. How are we to win our husbands over if they're unsaved? By our quiet, quiet conversation. And by just our lifestyle. I guess we're supposed to act like angels, so then they'll believe us. When we act like women, they don't believe us. (laughs) They do have selective memory. Uh, But wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think that at least some of them would run out to the tomb to investigate for themselves? Now, we know Peter and John do, okay? But here's an interesting thing. (laughs) Peter and John, they, they believed a woman. They believed one woman, one who had been possessed by seven demons, by the way, but they believed one woman when it came to bad news that the Lord's body had been stolen. So they respond immediately to women giving them bad. One woman giving them bad news, but they don't respond to many women giving them good news. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Guess again. They're trying to be practical here or something. I don't know. But uh, you think that they would run out to see? Well, let's see if we see any angels. Or empty grave clothes. It was, after all, the third day, wasn't it? Um, But not one of them, not one of them remember, even remember the Lord's resurrections. And another thing, um, the Lord had spoken to them on Thursday night. This was actually part of the farewell discourse from John 16. Remember, he had said something that puzzled them, and they talked about it, and they couldn't quite figure it out. He had said something that now would make perfect sense. Here's what he said to them Thursday night. He says, again a little while, and ye shall see me. Remember that? You know, you're not going to see me, and then again a little while, you are going to see me. And then he said, I will see you again. And that confused them. But now it would make perfect sense. These were men who had professed, that Jesus Christ was the Son of the living God, the true Messiah. So, why did they not believe the resurrection message of the women? Why did they simply not believe? I don't know. It puzzles me. And I started thinking, trying to think of some of the reasons why they didn't believe. Do you think that they thought that if such great news was true, that it surely would not be given first? to women. If it really was true, who would get the message first? They would. He would first appear to them. The same, I think, would have been true if it had been a Gentile who came running to tell them that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he had talked to angels and seen the resurrected Christ. They were so prejudiced. Had, had all these prejudices about Gentiles? What if it had been the Roman centurion who came to them? Do you think they would have believed? Nah, would never have been. He would never have appeared first to a Gentile. He would never appear first to a woman. I think that's part of it. And also, do you think that maybe their desertion of the Lord at His greatest time of need might have had something to do with their disbelief, their shame? Perhaps it was a combination of their utter despair, their own shame, their preconceived ideas that, now remember, had been taught to them all of their lives. They had been taught all their lives about the coming Messiah, and none of what they had ever been taught included a suffering, crucified Messiah. Okay? They also had been taught all their lives about a resurrection, but it was a general, at the end of history, type of resurrection. And another thing that was taught all their lives by other men was their preconceived attitude about women or their ingrained attitude about women. All these things, I think, work together to produce their disbelief. I, I, I don't really know. It's kind of mysterious. I do know that I think the Lord God used their disbelief to, to be the greatest evidence of the fact that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead because it took an awful lot to convince these men but boy once they were convinced they turned the world upside down didn't they one thing is clear the disciples did not believe their response to the message first time they ever heard the gospel message was not to believe the many women who came and told them he is not here on planet earth he is risen all right let's pray Father God, we do thank you again for this opportunity we have to come yet in this country. May we never take that for granted. The day might end when we can't assemble together with sisters in Christ to study your word and to get to know you better. Lord, we do thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you did eventually get the attention of these men and that they did indeed change their world. And we are part of the change that continues now 2,000 years later. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for those of us who know him. And I do pray, Father, every woman in this room, personally, has surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And we pray in your blessed name. Amen.